Hey, this is Zach Catanzaro. And I'm Walker Lukens. We're the hosts of Song Confessional, the only podcast where today's top songwriters turn your anonymous stories into original songs. This week, we've got a salacious tale of train platforms and anonymous hookups. Austin songstress Buffalo Hunt transforms the confession into a cinematic indie pop gem, exploring the dark pleasures of our bad decisions. Listen to Song Confessional at KUTX.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey there, you're listening to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that formed and transformed them. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode contains references to childhood trauma and sexual assault, so if you are not in a place to hear about those subjects right now, then please save this for when and if you are. And Yes, my name is Elizabeth McQueen, and for a decade of my life, I was a touring musician with the band Asleep at the Wheel, and my favorite moments were always before or after the gig, when people would sit around and play the music they were into and tell you why they loved it. I got off the road a couple of years ago, but I still long to talk to musicians about music, and so I created this podcast, because in my opinion, musicians are the most beautiful when they're talking about the music that changed them. And you guys, my previous life may have inspired this podcast, but nothing in my entire life has prepared me for what we're all going through right now with COVID-19. Everyone I know is experiencing this very intense moment at the same time, for the first time, and I really don't know what to do, except to do the things that I know calm me and bring me joy, like listen to music hang with my family, and make this podcast. And so here I am in my closet making an episode of this song. This week, you'll hear from Kathy Valentine. She was the bassist in the 80s all-female band The Go-Go's. She actually co-wrote one of my favorite Go-Go's songs, Vacation. It's about a summer romance that she had. She's also a guitar player. She has a killer band called The Blue Bonnets, and now Kathy Valentine is an author. Her new book, which just came out on UT Press, is called All I Ever Wanted, and it's an exploration of her very non-traditional childhood and her time with the Go-Go's. It's a really great, exciting read, especially if, like me, you're a huge Go-Go's fan. And a couple of weeks ago, she sat down with me to talk about the book and to tell me about what Sunshine of Your Love by Cream taught her about herself when she was just a kid. I used to go to Lubbock. Lubbock, Texas is where my dad was from. And because my mom worked and was a UT student, a lot of summers, you know, it's like, what are we going to do with a kid? So I would go stay with my family in Lubbock, which I really enjoyed. And I thought Lubbock was super exciting. There was uh, a lot of uh, cousins and I felt like I was part of a big family, which I didn't feel like in Austin because it was just me and my mom. So I had a cousin, my cousin AJ, and all of them were super into music, but he would bring records over. Maybe he didn't have a record player, but he'd bring them over to my grandmother's house. And he would go into my Aunt Baby Gal's room. And her real name is Janice, but she was Baby Gal. Uh, and anybody with West Texas relatives knows that the, the nicknames are there. Um, and so... 
I'm like this little kid, like playing with Barbies or something on the floor, and I'm hearing this music pulsing out of the door. And I wrote about it in my book. Well, I would love to hear you your passage about it in your book, because it's a beautiful passage. Let's do that. Yeah. The summer of 1968, I was nine years old and spending my third summer in Lubbock. My 16-year-old cousin AJ stopped by my grandmother's house and headed right into the teenage baby gal's girly bedroom. I still couldn't believe I had actual guys as family members. Deprived of brothers and a father, I was enamored of AJ's maleness, easy assurance, and cockeyed cast. I remember the afternoon, listening in the hall outside the door. On the other side, A.J. played one song, Sunshine of Your Love, over and over, picking up the needle and setting it back at the start again and again. It's getting near dawn When lights close the tired eyes I'll soon be with you, my love Give you my I didn't want him to ever stop. Music had calibrated the imbalances of my life for as long as I could remember. Listening to the table jukeboxes, dancing the twist with my mom, singing along with bouncy bubblegum melodies. I discovered pop music on AM radio and had a record box with a solid collection of singles. But this, this sounded nothing like the 45s I had collected. Years later, I would have the vocabulary to describe it. Six notes on a blues scale arranged and phrased in a way that unlocked something inside me I didn't know existed. I'll be with you when the stars start falling. Cream's Jack Bruce swore with a woeful desire. I'll be with you, darling, soon. I'll be with you when the stars start falling. Before the song peaked, the jagged power of a B chord, the melody tumbling over the last word. Do I have to sing it? In the sunshine of your love. Back to the driving riff. Clapton's tone cutting through the door like a thick blade. In one afternoon, I learned how a song could have the potency to elicit a deeper response than I had ever experienced. Cream opened a portal to an unexplored hidden self making my heart ache with anticipation of what might be waiting to be discovered. Now, music held something to look out for and recognize. And so you discovered something about yourself that was that you were attracted to this kind of feeling or that you had something inside of you. Yeah, I, it just felt different. I just had, and, and it wasn't sexual. It felt pr- more primal, more um, lusty, more um, potent. I think as you become more articulate about voicing your your feelings and thoughts, I think we all come to realize that different music elicits a different response. You know, we put on a song to lift us up. You know, I put on a certain song when I want to clean house. I put on certain music when I'm getting ready for a gig, you know. And when I wrote the book, I made playlists of each year, all the songs that I listened to, And it really helped put me square in that time and in that era, and most importantly, in those feelings. To have that reaction to art is is the 
the magic and wonder of being a human being and why art is so important, because I think we all have the capacity to have that response, whether it's music or or reading something or visually seeing something or a film, whatever form the art takes, it gives us a conduit right to our humanity and our feelings and so to be aware of a different one that you'd never ever experience and that's why I chose this song. Later on in the book I write like a few years later I'm in elementary school and we're all bringing records to school because that was a big part of education and and I write how I brought a really pop song and I brought a really kind of blues rock song because by that time I appreciated both and it's kind of been stuck with me my whole life. I, I love pop melodies. I just really liked um, that kind of hot rod heavy blues rock stuff. I mean it, as you described like the, the the two kinds of musics that you gravitated towards it's it's almost like there's the light and airy and there's like the dark and heavy and the mm-hmm. two have always kind of existed side by side since you were a little girl. Yeah. And that's why I love bands like, you know, the Beatles and the Stones, because they encompass both, both uh, the whole spectrum. Yeah. You know, you'd have everything from, you know, Wild Horses to Gimme Shelter. And then you'd have, you know, Why Don't We Do It in the Road or Come Together to, you know, Oh, bloody. <laughs> Not my favorite Beatles song, but it's the one that popped in my my mind for light. There are lots of people who listen to music. And there are lots of people who try to play instruments or do play instruments. But not everybody decides that they want to have a life as a musician. And when you think back to to learning how to play guitar, um, when did you kind of know that that was the thing you wanted to do? Um, well, I feel like the minute I picked up a guitar, that's what I, in my mind, that's what it was. I feel like that something happened that like on a cellular level that I just like, everything kind of clicked. But um, I think it was more when I saw Susie Quattro on TV and I was in England, my mom's English and we were there and it was 1973. I was 14 years old and Top of the Pops came on and uh, Susie Quattro was on television and I'd never seen a woman playing an instrument in a band before. And that was when I knew. And it kind of tapped into something that I, I already had. Um, I had. I was very driven to want to I don't know, I guess at my core, I just wanted to to feel like I mattered, you know, and it probably had to do a lot with my parents' divorce. I, I think as a kid, I, that's something at my core belief was like, if I mattered, my dad would still be with me, or if I really mattered. So that, you know, we all have some kind of core issue that happens probably, and mine... On a posit- in a positive way, it made me very driven to like feel like I mattered. So before I decided I wanted to be a musician and be in the best this or that, I, I always was kind of driven. I wanted to be the first woman president or the first woman scientist to this or that or the first, you know. I, I just had pretty lofty ambitions. So once I married that, that uh, 
that ambition and drive to music, it was kind of like that was what I was going to do. And uh, I was very, very lucky and very blessed. Yeah. I mean, when you started playing guitar and when you started being able to make the sounds that you could kind of hear on record, what was that like for you? Oh, well, it's it's incredibly empowering. You know, it, it's there's something and I I've gotten to be very lucky playing bass in a really big band and playing guitar and not so big bands. And um, they're, they're both just like listening to different kinds of music bring is pulls a different part of you out. That's the same. I, there's something about the role of playing bass that I really enjoy and being a supporting player and finding the places where I can do my best and my part to make the song be the best it can be. And then on, on when you're playing lead, it's like every now and then playing a lead solo, like I'm not that proficient where it's like happens every time, but there's sometimes where you're just in the moment and you're just everything, the tone is perfect and you, your strings are perfect and and you're comfortable and it's just you're you're playing flawlessly and it's just the best high in the world. Now that doesn't happen when you're a beginner. It took a while to get there, but even just my first like power chord, plugging that guitar in an amp and just playing an open E and just like this sound and it's just it's very empowering. You for me it was like it obliterated a lot of of uh, childhood uh, and adolescent pain and trauma. And I think that's why so many teenagers feel that when they when they start playing in a band or playing guitar or drums or whatever. And when you talk about childhood pain and trauma, you had quite an intense childhood. I was I was actually not really prepared for that when I started reading the book. I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the ways that music helped you navigate your childhood, which was different from a lot of people's. Yeah, my, my childhood was um, unconventional. And it's funny, because I, I keep seeing, you know, now that I've written the book, people's response, like, oh, so traumatic, and this and that. But it's like, when it's your life, it's kind of all you know. And I'm so, I don't know, I'm one of these people that no matter what's happening, I think of like, how much worse it could be, you know, and I look back, and I think I wasn't in foster care, I wasn't being sexually abused. I wasn't, there's so many horrible things that can, you know, befall a, a person. So I, it's kind of a, a practical nature, I think that I have. So anyway, um, music just was every step of the way, way before I was a musician, music was the thing that that made, it just made kind of the day-to-day seem not tolerable, because it wasn't like I was enduring life, but it just felt like something that that soothed me. It was just soothing, and it still is. For most of her life, Kathy Valentine has been a musician. She's played bass and guitar. She sang songs. She's written songs. And she had great success. But writing a book, it is so different from writing a song. And I wondered what that process had been like for Kathy. I mean, I started taking college courses 
uh, in the 90s and working towards a degree little by little, kind of when my life was not not uh, feeling like, I didn't feel like I was moving forward. I would just kind of go to school because you're moving forward. When you take a class, you're learning something and uh, it's just things can make sense a little bit. So when I started focusing on English and writing more, doing creative writing, short stories and stuff, I started being aware that I had a story to tell. And I started by just writing scenes, like just writing a few things. And then I was approached by a University of Texas Press. And I was, would, would I be interested in writing a book? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I, I am interested. And I gave them some of the things I'd written, and that clinched it. So then it was time to actually sit down and write. And I struggled a lot. First of all, I struggled with perfectionism and realized after about seven months that I had been rewriting three chapters over and over and over. But I realized that I was being too perfectionist and that I was never going to finish the book at that rate. So then I got past that and learned how to just spew it out and just write, 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 and then go back and mold it and shape it and, and revise and edit. And the next thing I struggled with was procrastination where from what from all the writers I've talked to, it's like kind of the it's kind of something we all share. And it's I call it like sitting down to write and then looking out the window and seeing like the pot on the patio that's got a crack in it that I better go fix that right now. <laughs> you know, and right it becomes very important to do your laundry and all the things that usually you can't stand doing when you have to write, they get done. So that was my next thing I struggled with. And then I just found my process. And my process was I I didn't carve out a certain time or anything. I just if I had twenty minutes, I would go go even if you write three lines. It's it's an incremental progress. And, you know, I was influenced a lot by the Malcolm Gladwell book, The Tipping Point. And I've become, since that time of reading that book way back, a big believer in incremental progress. And I, I, I've been using it for songs, too. A lot of times with writing a song, I'll just go, just get this one line, just one line further. And eventually you finish. So um, I, once I hit hit that, uh, got over those two things, I was just started churning it out, just churning and 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 writing and writing and writing and writing. And then I overwrote. I wrote so much that luckily I found a writer named Karen Balby, who's um, wonderful, and she read my first ten chapters, and she sent it back with me to me saying. This is beautiful writing. This is wonderful writing. This is obviously a very meaningful time of your life. It does not move the story forward. And that was like, <laughs> like, you know, the, the, the sun stream. I was like, okay, I get it. It's not a rememoir. Like, <laughs> it's a memoir. And it's, uh, there is a story and there's a story arc. And so I was then, and I'm a quick study. If I hear, and that was thing, I did not want to do it wrong. I'm also... You know, the perfectionism about revising the same chapters over and over. Well, that didn't completely leave. I, I still wanted to do it good. I wanted to do it right. So learning that was just a, a huge uh, guide for me. It sounds like listening to music really helped you in the writing of this book. But playing music has been such a big part of your life. I wondered if, if there was any kind of parallel if playing music entered into 
the writing or if they were separate or if there's any kind of overlap there, I guess? Well, it's a great question. Number one, I could not wait to get back to music. I mean, I was chomping at the bit to do music after the book because it got to the point where I was, my, my deadline was looming. And then there was this whole process of revising and, um, and whatnot and copy editing and, and this and that. So by the time the book got to that stage, I was just, I missed music so much. I missed writing songs and I didn't feel done with my book. And I thought I'm going to do a soundtrack to my book. So I wrote a soundtrack to the book and I spent the next eight months. I just finished it in May and I have an entire soundtrack. Now the book has 42 chapters and some of them are quite short. So not every chapter warranted its own soundtrack, but where it spoke to me. uh, And it, was a fascinating and wonderful thing to do because number one, there were no rules or conventions of, of traditional songwriting. I could use and utilize all my experience as a writer and all the, the influences and, and abilities and talents and everything I had, I could put into it, but I could do whatever I wanted because it was a soundtrack. I really thought of it as like a film score, but it was a book score. So, and I had an entire book to inspire me. So what I would do is if a chapter spoke to me, um, I would go through it. I would read through it. I would pull phrases, uh, sometimes sections. Sometimes I do a beat and I'm just reading a section. Sometimes I rewrite the section so it fits in a more lyrical or rhythmic way. And, um, each soundtrack has the same title, and I try to capture not only uh, the tone and the, the content text of the text, but I also try to capture the feeling musically. And it was my favorite creative thing I've ever done, which is ironic because the book is kind of like all I ever wanted was to be in a band. And then I just had the most creative, creatively satisfying musical experience of my entire musical life doing something all by myself. Informal, a loud continued noise or a mixture of sound. A state of disturbance, excitement, uproar, buzz, a loud noise made by kids. And the other key thing was how the music opened a portal. Like there is a chapter about realizing now that I was raped at 14 years old and the chapter is called Just Do It. And I wrote that and... I kind of went through some of the feelings about, you know, I didn't real. I never realized it was a rape. I thought, oh, I put myself in a bad position, in a bad situation. Oh, I, I said, just do it. I just, I told him, just do it, so he would leave me alone. So in my mind, for many years, I didn't, I, I didn't equate it with rape. But it was a, a college guy and a, a fourteen-year-old that was saying, no, please don't, no, please don't. So it was like, ding, 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 okay. But the interesting thing is I write that and I process it to some degree, but when I sat down to write the song, I sat down with the chorus and I wrote the first lines and I had to put the guitar down and I started heaving with sobs. And the fascinating thing was how the music, it was like writing the chapter, took the box out and put it on the table writing the song, opened the box, and 46 years worth of grief and mourning and sadness just overwhelmed me. And for three days, it was days before I could finish, even start to finish the song. Just do it. 
intersection of storytelling with music is what I really kind of keyed in on. And there's another chapter called Clubland where I'm talking about hitting all the clubs in Austin and going to Mother Earth and going to Antones and going to all these places. And and that was like 1976. So that song, that it's real 70s sounding. And I really capture the era and I, I just love doing it. What an amazing process to have, because it sounds like when you talk about writing the book, it really helped you clarify and understand some things. And But then to go on a personal journey of being able to process those those kind of intellectual understandings through that nonverbal, yes. you know, a medium of music and some like to really try to capture those feelings. Um, and it sounds amazing. I want to write a book and then do a soundtrack. It sounds I, so I don't cool. understand why every musician should do that because it's such every musician that writes a book, they should just do it. I couldn't stop comparing myself to my old bandmates. They had success. 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 I felt like a sucker. And this is Cheerleader, from the soundtrack that Kathy Valentine made to go along with her new book, All I Ever Wanted. And Kathy was going to do a book tour in April, but they are currently rescheduling those dates. Don't worry, though. You can order a signed copy from one of the bookstores that she was going to go to. They have it all set up on the tour page for her book over at UT Press. I'll have a link for that on the show notes page for this episode on KUTX. And you can also find a link there to the soundtrack for All I Ever Wanted. You can get it from Bandcamp, which is actually waiving its revenue share tomorrow, Friday, March 20th, which means that artists like Kathy will be getting more money in their pocket from the sales of their art, which is pretty cool. As always, you can find a Spotify playlist on the show notes page for this episode where you can hear all the songs we referenced all the way through. that's it. You have come to the end of another episode of this song. I hope it brought you some peace or relief from everything that's happening right now. This episode was produced by Art Levy and me, Elizabeth McQueen. Thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And it is true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. Right on. Take care of yourself. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.
KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.